So you own an art gallery, but before you owned an art gallery, you were an artist and you still are. So how did this all, Cassandra, be begin for you? How did it begin? Uh, I would say that art has been a part of my life since I was really young. I grew up in Santa Fe, New Mexico, surrounded by art and culture. And, you know, I think it was in high school. Well, let me go back a step. I studied a lot of art mediums growing up, but in high school, I petitioned to have a photography class and uh, help build the dark room. And so, I mean, the photography part of it started way back when. And then I had another life where I was a model and an actress. So I was on the other side of the camera. Um, but I eventually um, put the camera in front of me and became a photographer. I originally did more commercial work, editorial work, travel photography. At that stage in college, my dream job was to work for National Geographic magazine. I was real adventurous, expeditionist. Uh, and then over time that transformed, I always had fine artwork that I did, personal work that I did outside of the work that I was hired to do. And I always knew that I would have a gallery. When did you know that? Oh, gosh. I find that very interesting that 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 was something that was just a part of your vision, even when you were very young. Yeah. You're still young. By yeah. The way. Oh, well, thanks. <laughs> 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 Not quite, but you know. Uh, yeah. I, gosh, if I were to pinpoint an exact time, that might be challenging. But I would say I always had a strong appreciation and a gravitational pull towards art and the art world. And being an artist, creating my own work was very fulfilling, but I found also great passion and joy in others' work. And I knew that I would be a part of that somehow too. I mean, the curatorial process is also very creative. Mm. So I would say in college is really when I, I just kind of knew that I would eventually have a gallery somewhere down the long, along the line. And uh, it came about, I think sooner than I anticipated. We moved to the Berkshires and I, you know, after a year or two, uh, realized how limited it was to be a photographer in the Berkshires, unless I was going to continue to travel, which at the time uh, just didn't really work with uh, with my life. What brought you to the Berkshires? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I was living in New York City and mm. with my then husband. And he wanted to go back to school to study law. And we wanted to be in a place that had art and culture and natural beauty and good food. And so we ended up here. 
you did your research a little bit yes not too much as soon as we got here we, we knew like this okay was, this is the right place research in the sense that you came here <laughs> we and... came here we did so we did a little bit of research we had we kind of narrowed it down to a few options we made a visit i think it was like an overnight visit and we just knew right away it was a great place i mean having come from from santa fe new mexico the berkshires is a little bit like a east coast haven in similar ways that Santa Fe. That's funny. I mean, is. were there others on the this is this is kind of interesting because um were there others on the list? Were there others that are sort of like Berkshire like or ish <laughs> that that you were looking at or gosh not? around so we wanted to be close to New York. We wanted to we still had friends and family and I saw at the time had a lot of career ties to New York City. So being in proximity to New York was important. Mm. There wasn't much competition. I mean, we considered Northampton, but, and then a few other places, I would say North, I think we kind of narrowed it down to maybe Northampton or the Berkshires and the Berkshires, like way one. <laughs> so. I love that quote unquote way one. I way one. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but so then, you know, after a couple of years of being here, I said, well, like, you know, I think it's time to, to start the gallery. It felt right. It felt mm. It, it felt like the right time. It felt like the right place and uh, just kind of went for it. And that was about 12 years ago. Hmm. Now, was that before or after you had published your first book, photography book? Was that, uh, did that happen before or after? The, uh, the first photography book happened before. Okay. Okay. And then, um, and then the gallery. Uh, so you had already established yourself as a photographer in that in that vein and, and then that it's interesting that sort of transition from maybe the editorial commercial photographer to then what is that jump to sort of uh, art or high maybe or high art i'm not sure how you right. how you describe that but what but tell me about that difference so i had already started shifting away from commercial and more towards fine artwork at that time, um, both just within myself and also in my career. I, I had far more interest in uh, photography for myself as a fine art form uh, than commercial photography. I was still doing some commercial photography, probably as additional income more or less. And also if jobs would come my way, it would be kind sure. of hard to say no, but then yeah. as, as time progressed, that became less and less. And I just said, no, you know, I'm very focused on the fine art side of this medium and, and other mediums. And that's, you know, that's, that's really the, 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 the life that I wanted to live. Mm. So, and it seems like that that's, Clearly, that's what lights you up. Is that <laughs> and 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 so to have a gallery um, that's successful? I assume there's a a bit of a niche to some extent, uh, or or no, maybe maybe there isn't. But uh, you know, how, how do you look at your gallery as it relates to the artwork that you curate? Um, you know, are there themes? Uh, and I'm sure people in the art world already know what you do uh and and they kind of have an expectation as to the kind of artwork that you 
are um, exhibiting. But um, but tell me about that. What what is the the character? What is the niche? If there is one. So, I came from a photography background. It was very natural progression for me to focus on contemporary photography, exhibiting contemporary photography, representing photographers. Uh, I developed an education program, um, so which we we still have today, where we bring in photographers from all over the world to teach workshops in the Berkshires Mm. and people come from all over the country to take the workshops. And um, so, and I was very passionate about photography, all art, but uh, especially photography. It was a world I was so familiar with. So the gallery has always specialized in contemporary photography and then shown other sculptural and mixed media works from time to time, the last couple of years, I have expanded the repertoire of artists and work that I've shown. I'm showing more artists that work with unconventional materials, mixed media, sculpture, um, certainly n- not necessarily uh, traditional, what you would term as traditional art, uh, but we still very much specialize in contemporary photography. Hmm. And it's beautiful. I, 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 last time I, well, I don't, I haven't been into an art gallery much over the last three years. Um, and a lot of people hadn't, I stepped foot in yours and, um, some uh, of those artworks are just, uh, pieces of, of art are breathtaking and you wouldn't necessarily think that, wow, a, a, uh, photograph or, or digital image or whatever it may be, um, you know, can, can do that. Um, I can tell you that there is uh, some remarkable work and a lot of it, uh, what I saw in your gallery recently was this sort of combination of uh, an image and and the ability to sort of manipulate that image. Um, so that's a, a, whole, a whole work of art in itself now today in 2022 is that um, the definition of art, I'm sure, continues to evolve in that in that way. Absolutely. I mean, in all forms of art, in all mediums of art that's ever evolving, and as technology grows, so does the world of art. I mean, now we're moving into NFTs and different forms of digital art, and you know, the the art world is is forever expanding. Uh, but the the photographic genre in particular is a, has become a very broad mm. uh, world. Um, amongst itself in the sense that photographers are working with the medium in so many different ways. So yeah, like you expressed, people will often come into the gallery and not recognize the medium of the art as photography Mm. because maybe it resembles a different medium or something that they've never quite seen. You know, I represent cameraless photographers. I represent uh, artists who create lenticular photographs, artists who work with in-camera multiple exposures. So they, the images look like paintings. Uh, the, 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 the technical uh, abilities that are available to artists and photographers now Uh, make bringing the conception 
of the work to life even more possible. I do hope that you are enjoying the podcast. I just want to take a quick moment to let you know that this is a production of 180 Media. That's my full service communications and marketing agency. We do a full range of content development, graphic design, web development for WordPress or Wix or other web platforms, copywriting, video work. Check out 180media.com and see also some of my past work and the agency's past work on my blog, johncroll.info. And now back to the podcast. I didn't know about the workshops that you did. <laughs> That's interesting. So you're, you're actually... Uh, well, so, during, you know, the last couple of years during the pandemic, right, right, that program, sure, sure. program kind of got shut down. So <laughs> so people are coming from all over the, the country or around the world uh, to take workshops. Um, and uh, so that's that's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's it's really it's it's a wonderful thing. I mean, the, the mission of of the gallery for me has always been community engagement with the medium from collector collectors to patron patrons of the arts to artists both established and emerging so we represent artists from all over the world we work with collectors we support artists and the growth in their careers and techniques and creative processes, both the artists that we represent, but also emerging artists who are looking to learn and grow um, in their field. So the education component is a, a large, it's, a, it's an important part of, of that mission. So for instance, we have uh, Valda Bailey coming from England next, well, not next month. It's not quite August in September. And she's teaching a workshop about primarily multiple in camera exposures in the creative process. And so we'll be hosting her here in the Berkshires. And then we have actually, she's teaching that workshop with another British artist, Doug Chinnery. They're pairing up together on that workshop. And then we have 18 students attending that workshop. I think 17 of them are traveling to Berkshires from abroad. So the idea is also to build the creative economy in the Berkshires and continue to establish the Berkshires as a top destination for not only performing arts, but visual arts. So, yeah. You mentioned NFTs. I, <laughs> that's like, wow. That's oh, like, gosh. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm sure anyone who professes that they know exactly everything about NFTs, um, they're probably lying to you because, you know, of course, it's a, it's a wild west out there as to what does this mean? What is this, these, these images or whatever an NFT is? I mean, it's, it's not just artwork. I think it's, it's, it's even more, you know, than, than just that. Uh, it, it can be anything on this sort of blockchain thing, but the idea of NFTs for artists, um, you know, tell me about your, your perspective on that and what that can mean for art moving uh, forward or well, does it mean anything? <laughs> well, I am certainly not an NFT expert. I, like a lot of people, are in the process of learning more and more and more and getting involved, you know, more and more and more. 
initially it was an idea that was hard for even me to wrap my head around. Uh, now I have a, a far better understanding of it. But there's, you know, the investment side of the NFT, which is, you know, anybody who is investing in crypto, you know, a lot of it is a bit of a trade game, right? Mm-hmm. There's the the these crazy values on these digital artworks uh, that are being traded regularly. And then there's also the other side of it, which is this new form of art that's being created, valued, and sold. And that aspect of it, the digital art aspect of it as a new genre, uh, I think we're really just at the beginning stages of. I think we're going to see tremendous changes within that medium, um, with artists working in that medium, how that medium is presented and valued over the next, you know, five to ten years. It's. It, I think it's going to really create tremendous changes in the art world. It because, already is, but is it? Is it because I, I mean, again not both i mean i'm far more of a novice on this but the idea that you create something that there's, there, there's only one of them uh you know and and like in a, in a regular quote-unquote painting there's one original it, it doesn't mean that there aren't um you know knockoffs or something like that or or reprints um or prints of of that artwork so this is and correct me if i'm wrong maybe digitizing that concept you know because because you've created something especially when you look at maybe rising artists and you're like oh this is the first piece of artwork that this person put out on the blockchain or what have you um i don't know if if that's if that's getting to an idea for the 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 light person to understand it (laughs) but um but maybe i'm somewhat on the right track i'm not i'm not sure but um but it it seems as though this digital marketplace is sort of kind of uh emulating what what is there but but now it's just doing it digitally perhaps certainly there's a, a connection to the art world as it already exists right so i think one of the challenges that people have in wrapping their head around the value of an NFT is, oh, that's a digital image or a digital, you know, moving image that every single person can see. And so why not only say or copy <laughs> or show in their home, right? right. It's like, like every single person has complete access to that image. What gives it value? Right. So the value is in the minting. And mm. the minting is like the signature. It's like you could have somebody reproduce a Picasso, but it's not ever going to be a real Picasso because it doesn't have his signature. Mm-hmm. So you could think of the minting process in the same way that you think of a signature in the piece. Mm-hmm. And that's what has value. Okay. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. We're getting there. I'm, <laughs> well, I'll maybe sort of understand it uh, at, at some point. But And again, um, I'm by no means right. an NFT or but you're working, expert. But you're working with artists who are in that world and probably already starting to see, you know, how to maneuver and navigate this whole thing. Um, 
early in its early stages, as it were. Yes. Well, you know, the, I think the blockchain is going to change a lot more than we realize, just mm. in general. So, yeah, it's. I feel a, a necessity to educate myself about it. Right. <laughs> I, especially in the art world, for sure, yes. I, I would think. But yeah, but yeah. we all need to be. <laughs> Even monetarily, but yeah, everything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. yeah. Maybe maybe it'll all be, it will all be uh, digital uh, soon enough. <laughs> or not. We'll see. Um, so, okay. So then in the business world, because you are a small business owner, or maybe not that small, I'm not sure how small or big your business is, but yeah, you know. Pretty micro. <laughs> uh, tell me about that business model, because... Um, you know, there are the aspects that I'm sure that you love and, and some of it may be profitable. And, and then there's other aspects that make a business profitable that may not be the passion. So the, the, there's a whole <laughs> side of things, but it's all a part of, of what you do as, as your business. So tell me about that, um, how, you, how you make this whole thing work. Well, I think with any work that you do, any business you're in, there are going to be aspects that you're not as fond of, right? <laughs> I feel very lucky because I've created a business that resonates with who I am. So the guts of the business uh, really align with my interests in, in the world. And that is inspiring. It's a creative process. It's I love having an impact on people's lives. I love being surrounded by art and discussing, you know, art art creates discussions about the human condition, about politics, about nature, about love and peace and war and just you know, it it creates conversation about the world that we live in. And um you know, I come from a philosophy background, so that's right up my alley. I get to talk about, you know, really interesting things and beautiful artwork every day. I get to work in an environment that's surrounded by gorgeous art that I would love to be surrounded by every day. You know, I work in a really beautiful environment and I work, I work with artists and I work with collectors of art and I work with aspiring artists. And that aspect of it is just wonderful. I mean, I'm, I feel like one of the luckiest people in the world. And then of course there's the day-to-day -day stuff, the administrative <laughs> stuff, the staffing issues, the, you know, all of the normal things that come with running a small business that I deal with <laughs> and I've learned to deal with, you know, I've, I've really learned the business side of things over time. I'm not so fond of those things, but I get to have the other stuff. That comes with them. So, how did it work through you uh, through the pandemic, having the challenges there? I mean, obviously, you know, there was limitations as to people walking into a gallery or even having an exhibit at all. Um, how did you manage that? Well, I think like most small businesses or most businesses in general, the beginning of the pandemic was very scary. I None of us knew what was going to happen. We were, you know, forced to close our businesses. And I mean, I never anticipated anything like that. It's one thing to close your business by, by choice. It's another to 
uh, just kind of be stuck in this situation that you don't have any control over. So that was a definitely, you know, it was a scary time. And little by little, we came out of it. Uh, and I, I think in many ways, we are still coming out of it. I mm. mean, this past winter was completely dead, you know. Mm. Um, so it's been a bit of a roller coaster, a lot of ups and downs. Luckily, we live in a place that a lot of people wanted to come to during the pandemic as a safe haven to be able to get out in nature and um, have have space. And, and I think that helped a lot of us survive and, and get through that kind of tumultuous period. Philosophy. <laughs> that's your background. <laughs> well, yeah, that's how it started, I guess. Is that? I mean, did you study that in in college or? The, initially in college, yes. <laughs> I, I I I started my college years at uh, St. John's College in Santa Fe, which is all philosophy symposium based. You study the classics and sit in a class of ten people and debate life essentially <laughs> so, <laughs> so they kind of like teach good, they kind of like teach you shop. to <laughs> unlearn everything you've learned so that you can start to think about the world in a in a new way what did you have to unlearn <laughs> they well i actually had a very kind of untraditional schooling growing up in santa fe anyway so yeah. there was a fair amount of philosophy going on in my education prior to that but the but the the idea at St. John's is you know you traditional school you're taught fact after fact after fact after fact mm -hmm. and at St. John's you're um you're kind of put in positions where you are disproving things scientifically mathematically um breaking th things down to their core in a way that maybe that scientists or would and uh through that process you see how facts are created and you learn how ideas and technologies change as we develop as as humans and learn and grow and um you kind of realize the impermanence of things that we take as to being you know completely stable mm. so and then within that there's this power and possibility to create new ideas public, <laughs> so <laughs> traditional public education what are your thoughts on that I'm not, i mean it's interesting because we have this conversation all the time so i it's i you know we are in a world where uh yeah there's there's a certain indoctrination through the public schools and that sort of thing i I, I think, especially today, and, and there is a big pushback against standardized testing and everything that we've been, you know, been been pushing for the last two, three decades. But I, I just, from a macro, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of unlearning that has to maybe be done, and 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 in that unlearning, when you're a, a community leader, and I've worked in government for a, a long time, you start to think, okay, well. Geez, how 
in the world do we do this whole thing differently? And it takes a little philosophy <laughs> and, <laughs> and re-examining to get there um, as opposed to just continuing to do things the way that we've always done them. Right. Well, times change, right? So there always needs to be evolution. I think foundations are very important. A lot of what we learn in the uh, the current education system is really important so that we can function in society the way that we need to. Uh, but I, you know, I think that we could benefit from changes in the some substantial changes in the education system. It's not enough art. Certainly not, not, not enough there's art. Not, there's not enough music. Art doesn't necessarily make you a lot of money unless you become really well, successful. Right. <laughs> so, uh, you know, but it's but it, art is very important for personal expression. Personal expression is very important to be a healthy person, yeah. and it's all you know, kind of connected. Yeah. So, you know, I I think the the more robust the education, as far as exposing you to different things, whether it's you know. All of the ba- all of the basics, all of the foundations: math, science, mm-hmm. English, literature, but art, music. Um, you know, everyone, everyone's different. Not everyone's an artist and a curator. Yeah, and a you know, it's interesting. Like you, true. I'm definitely because I, I even said I'm definitely a, you know a niche <laughs> niche group. Exactly. <laughs> but well, I mean, like I said to you before the podcast, I always get nervous with you know artistic people because it's not really my thing uh, in that sort of box, but I look at creativity and everybody has to be creative because problem solving is is creativity. Yeah. And I think that the idea that, okay, fact-based questions, answers, that sort of thing, that's, that's very limited as to what a human being needs to do to really be successful in life, in my opinion, because ultimately we're all growing and evolving, but also problem solving based on whatever the issue is at hand. <laughs> and that doesn't mean um, the same thing it meant 20 years ago. You know what I'm saying? So, yes. so building that creativity and building the ability for people to deal with the, and, and, I, and I even hesitate to use the problem, the problem solving concept, because even that is maybe even limited, but that creativity is 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 valuable yeah absolutely i i mean if you're asking me definitely i think that's a no-brainer right um, I am but you. but i also but i also feel like you know we we don't have any foundation learning when it comes to finances or right. basic life's life skills mm-hmm. and we're learning other things that really don't pertain to things that we're going to utilize in our lives. Yes. So balancing you know. a checkbook is far more important than the rotation <laughs> of the earth. Uh, as far as most well, people's <laughs> rotation of the earth is pretty important too, but yeah. yes, balancing a check and you know, beyond balancing a checkbook, yeah. you know, like uh, everything that has to do with finances, becoming a responsible adult, yeah. you know, how to actually live in this world and get a job and right. function in that job. And, you know, I, 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 I think we could do better in helping people prepare people 
for adulthood. Yeah, I love it. I love it. See, hey, we, we've dug pretty deep here, Cassandra. Yeah, we got a little off track, but you know, we digress. That's the great thing. And like you uh, said, certainly not my field, but yeah. Um, so this community, Lennox, I, I I enjoy my walks in Lennox. Um, I I love going to, of course, Tanglewood. We all do. Tell me about doing business in Lennox, um, right there in that whole hopping area. You know, Church Street and and the rest. Um, what is that community like? Lennox is definitely a, a, a pretty tight community. Like most of the small towns in the Berkshires, a lot of people know, you know, a lot of people know each other. Um, we'd certainly count on each other, but there's, so I'm on the steering committee of the Lennox Cultural District and there is definitely a unified front uh, as far as continuing to develop the creative economy, working together. And I've actually, I've seen that in, in my experience. I've seen that throughout the Berkshires. Uh, there seems to be a very welcoming, collaborative community spirit, uh, which, it, which I think is really special and also unique to the area. And something that I definitely see in, Ber- in, uh, in Lennox. I think it's a great place for my business. We have so many people coming to that area who are really interested in arts and culture between, you know, Tanglewood and the Mount. And then we have Kripalu and Kenny Ranch and Miraval, these places that people come also to recenter themselves (laughs) and relax (laughs) and realign and have therapeutic treatments and get in touch with the, you know, who they are. And, um, And then, you know, beyond that, all of the incredible cultural organizations that are an arm's reach away, Jacob's Pillow, Norman Rockwell Museum, Chesterwood, you know, Berkshire Museum, and then we have Mass Mocha and the Clark. I mean, it's it, Lennox is so central to all of those. So a lot of the customers and clients and people that we have coming into the gallery, they're enjoying all of those cultural activities. There's in such arm's reach for all of us, really. Right. So it feels like, you know, for your, there, there's so much supportive aspects to it because you know you can put a gallery at a downtown but it's so different than having it be in because Len- because i can see it i mean I, I walk down the streets of lennox and you can be oh that that person's gonna buy a piece of work at a gallery i can i can see that you know what i'm saying like you know what i'm saying um, what does that person look like <laughs> Because you'd be surprised who buys the big pieces. Uh, that is interesting. Oh my god! It's gosh. not. It's not like the Hamptons or other places where you you know who has money. It's not like they here. Everybody's low key, which is so great. You know. Okay. <laughs> so okay. So and and you are uh, again. You're in sales just as much as you are in art, right? I mean, to, to I mean, again, there's a there's an approach. Um. Take me through that process. Oh gosh! <laughs> I mean, how do you sell a ten thousand dollar piece um, to to someone uh, or 
a fifty thousand dollar piece. I don't know what's the most expensive piece. <laughs> is, I'm like, is this like HIPAA? I don't know. Um, but uh, you, you've probably sold a few, maybe six figure pieces. Is that uh, in the realm? I'll say that it's 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 the the price doesn't necessarily matter. Sometimes there is more work associated with a higher priced piece of art. Uh, because there can be more of an investment aspect for some buyers that uh, will, might make them for, feel more secure. But really, buying art starts with a personal connection to a, to a piece that you're interested in, right? And a lot of times, for a lot of people, I think that's visceral. Mm-hmm. So... It's not like people are coming in and I'm like, oh, why don't you get this? Why don't you get that? You know, it's it's more like people come in, they look I'm getting, around. I'm getting that image. <laughs> hey, maybe you'll be interested in this one. <laughs> Let me show you this car. What about this one's got, you know, power steering? Uh, well, power steering is standard now, but um it's more they I would say the collector leads the way, mm-hmm. right? So they have to have an experience with the art that and that's the first step Mm. towards any sale happening and then you know my job is really to help them understand the art help them understand the artist and help bridge that connection for them or deepen that connection because you see that look and and they're sort of maybe mesmerized is maybe a, a way to describe it probably not the best description but there, there's this sort of, there's a sort of connection and this interest that is probably laser focused and you and and you see that <laughs> so you're like wait a minute okay yes. wait, this person really there's something <laughs> there's something here uh okay. at this point i've learned to identify that yes <laughs> you have a certain set of skills <laughs> it is yeah <laughs> you know, we got the look <laughs> Hey Jimmy, we're gonna be here for a while. Yeah. Uh, give me a minute. Shut, lock the doors. We're gonna be. Uh, but um, but anyway, I'm sorry. I, <laughs> I digress. <laughs> but but there it is. So then so then that that process begins. <laughs> yes, yes. Like I said, the, the process begins with the collector, mm-hmm. and and art is a very personal thing. It's it, it you know it's it's personal in a way that's different from buying other things. It's also not something we necessarily need, like food or a sweater when it's cold or right. a jacket or, you know, um, it's it's something that we buy because we appreciate. However, an investment in a piece of art is something that you have and live with for your entire life. Mm. You know, I think a, a, a lot of people may not see it in that way. You know, they might be more willing to spend a couple thousand dollars on a few items of clothing because there's kind of like this immediate need, immediate gratification, uh, and then more hesitant to buy a piece of art for the same amount of money, mm-hmm. not necessarily realizing Perceived that utility this or is something, something like that. Yeah, yeah, I think that's just kind of the way our brains are trained. But this is something that is going to speak to us and that we're going to live with for the rest of our lives and potentially there will be value in it, you know, um, and- a lot of people in the Berkshires um, understand that and, and appreciate that, which is lucky for me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it starts with the collector's connection to the work, and then it goes from there. And it's really a conversation. My business is about relationships. 
It's about relationships with the artists. It's about relationships with the collectors. It's about bridging those relationships, creating, you know, appreciation for the context. And, you know, people either connect to a piece or they don't. Hmm. It'd be interesting. Uh, and, and of course you can, <laughs> but it is interesting to, to uh, understand that over time that, that maybe while everyone is different, everyone's individual, but there, but maybe there are types and the Berkshire type is perhaps more <laughs> low key than in other places where the, the buyers quote unquote, uh, may be a little bit more high profile, or you can kind of see it in a more, we have those two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, she can pick them out. They're just not as flashy. <laughs> Sometimes. I, I love it. Ah, that's funny. That's funny. I know that, that's a whole nother education uh, that you probably never thought that you were going to uh, pick up on, but, uh, but Hey, we're all, we're all salespeople to some extent. You know, we all, we're all selling maybe something. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yes. And I, I mean the, the, the sales aspect of, I have gotten, pretty good at, I guess. Um, and I enjoy, right? But the curatorial aspect is uh, really what gets my blood going, I would say, e you know, even more so, mm. which is why I continue to branch out and do curatorial projects outside of the gallery. Like literally where, outside. Like literally, literally, literally outside. outside. So yeah. you are doing <laughs> mixed media working with Chesterwood. Yes. So I, I, I currently, uh, you know, the nice thing about curating out outside of the gallery is you don't have to worry about the sales aspect. And that gives you a lot more freedom into the work that you're presenting to the public. Um, if you remove kind of that aspect of it, and then the work really becomes about helping and developing the artists and, and creating communicate community engagement with the art, which I'm very passionate about. So yeah, I, yeah, I currently have, um, I curated this year's outdoor sculpture exhibition at Chesterwood and I've featured Jonathan Prince in that show. And so we have monumental sculptures of his work throughout the grounds of Chesterwood. And then I have a companion exhibit of his work of smaller, smaller sculptures and some works on paper at my gallery, Sound Fun Art. And what are those uh, sculptures? Uh, what or the inspiration behind those sculptures? Some the inspiration behind Jonathan's sculptures. So the the works that we're exhibiting at Chesterwood and at the gallery are made with metal, mm -hmm. uh, which is the main medium he's working with today. And his work in his work with metal, which is not a very mutable material, mm. he is always exploring, uh, pushing the boundaries of how materials can behave, right? So, for instance, he might create a kind of perfectly geometric form, and then within that form there is a tear or a break and inside it might be a little chaotic or turbulent or um not perfect right and his exploration through that process 
is really about our inner and outer selves, right? So it's about the beauty in the breaks, the beauty mm. in the in the complexity, the beauty inside. And he explores that in a variety of different ways. There are these strong, large, heavy, perfect materials that also have this vulnerability that's unexpected. What do you look for in artists? I mean, what, how does something grab your attention or tell you that there's something special about this artist, at least that you like? Because again, you're being the curator, you've got to be inspired as well. Absolutely. Um, primarily through photography, that seems to be, you know, we talked about that. But, um, but what is it that catches your eye and being the photographer as well, probably something that you see through the the lens, literally, um, of someone else's motivation. So, you know, what are the kinds of things that you're looking for? Oh, hmm. I'm I'm definitely looking for innovative artworks, artworks that have a really interesting context um, within or behind the work. artists that are working with materials in new ways, creative ways, um, presenting to the world a a unique vision that is rooted in, you know, personal expression, but also something that we identify with. and that can be in so many forms that can be political, that can be nature-based, that can be um, personal, emotional, you know, human condition-based. But for me, it's also important that there's a, an aesthetic, like a, an appealing aesthetic element to it. So I think kind of like the collectors, the way they respond to a piece. For me, also, there has to be that kind of initial visceral experience, that connection to the work, something that makes me come alive and set inside and sparks my curiosity or stimulates me in a way that, uh, in a new way that maybe I haven't been mm. before. And then it will kind of progress from there. Mm. And your own work, you spent uh, a lot of time with water. That was that, that's one, literally one of your publications uh, uh, of your work. Tell me about water and why it inspires you. Tell me about that. Yeah, you know, I I don't think it was intentional. Um, I've always been drawn to. I grew up in the mountains. I live in the mountains. I've always been, I love the mountains. I've always been drawn to the ocean. I always feel very creative and peaceful when I'm by the ocean. And I found myself creating a lot of work by when I'm by the ocean. Mm. I think there's, and you'll, you could see this in my work, there's this idea of kind of like turbulence and peace coexisting, Hmm. right? Water is very powerful, but also really beautiful. And it can elicit strength. 
and calm, right? Mm. And it's ever-changing, ever-moving, highly mutable. And I think there's something about that that really resonates with me and maybe how I try to live my life, right? Maybe it's part of my meditative process, whatever it may be. Mm. Um, But kind of returning to that source Mm. uh, helps recenter me. Yeah, so to speak. Water is an interesting thing. <laughs> I mean, and, and um, because I mean, and, and it can be a metaphor in so many ways as well. You know, how the surface can be stormy, and 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 then of course deep in the ocean, it's you know calm and, and everything like that. So, do, as you, you said, meditative. Do you meditate uh, formally, or is that is that just part of your meditative process with the water? Uh, do I meditate? Yes, I meditate. It's a good thing. <laughs> I, I asked all my guests that. I don't know why. I meditate. Um, that's why. Um, so, so what is life uh, like for you? Um, your mother. I am. Yeah, my daughter is about to be eight. Wow. Yeah. That's a fun age. It, it is. It's such a fun age. I mean, every age is fun, but now it's. I can really see like like who she is. You know. She's, her personality is in full bloom. Yeah. Yeah. In in schools here or is she? It, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. She yeah. goes to Morris. So. Morris. Good school. Great school. A lot of, of parents. I know a lot of parents. Have said that. <laughs> uh, Morris, a wonderful school. And so uh, is she an artist as well? She is. She definitely is. She loves art. She, since she could talk and walk. She has been singing and performing, making up her own songs. She's, she is a performer. I mean, hands down, definitely a performer. She's currently taking sing- singing lessons from Wanda Houston. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Local, local, local uh, Berkshire singer who can belt it out, by the way. Uh, uh, but she'll be, the but, ne- she'll be the next guest on the podcast. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you can mention uh Aaliyah. um that's my daughter's name so but yes but she's also a visual artist she loves drawing and painting and coloring and she's very interested in that however she's recently become an entrepreneur so nice she's <laughs> she's i think after spending some time in the gallery she uh works on trying to sell her art and she's not afraid to kind of get out there and Good. get the word out and try to make those sales. So. Well, we'll see that artwork in a <laughs> venue near us soon. I'm sure, sure you will. Especially if she has other. her mom's sales skills. Oh my gosh. Um, does she, I mean, <laughs> the first piece she sold, she was, I included her in a kind of a community-based exhibition. I did. I included one of her pieces and Boy, did she negotiate the sale of that piece? And that was like a couple of years ago. She was young, and I was like, Where did you "Who are that? you?" <laughs> I didn't think. I don't think. I didn't know if she had ever actually seen me negotiate, but I was like, "Yeah, all right." That it's amazing. You, you got know, it. It's amazing. You got it in the blood. It's amazing what they pick up on. I mean, and yeah. even if you don't think they're listening, uh, maybe little maybe sponges. they are. They really are. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, especially when you start seeing little pieces like, wait a minute, that's something I would have done uh, or something along those lines. That's that's cool. Yeah. That is that is very cool. Well, following in her mom's footsteps, uh, definitely on that <laughs> aspect. That's tremendous. <laughs> um, so, you know, this so we're in the summer season. It's the high time. Um, 
I feel like, as you mentioned, people are still kind of coming out of the pandemic era, as it were. I don't even know if that's a way to describe it. But to me, the vibe is pretty good out there. When I go to downtown Lenox, I feel like people are out there. Um, they're enjoying it. People you know, at Tanglewood, we've had decent turnouts. I don't know how the season is going officially for Tanglewood. I don't know. But it seems as that it seems though there are, are large crowds uh, going there, but um, but overall, what what is the vibe and and how does that maybe relate as as the season is going economically um, in Lenox and in the Berkshires? Yeah, it feels like a normal summer. In How Lenox. normal summer used to be, right? Right, right. <laughs> yes, and and last year did too for the summer. Okay, uh, you know, it had been a couple of years, and I remember last year during the summer it was very busy. We had a lot going on. I was, I thought, oh my gosh, I forgot. I forgot that this is how it was, <laughs> you know? And so this year's uh, feeling like a normal summer. summer. There's, there's good energy. People are out and about. Um, and yeah, hopefully it'll just stay that way, you know? <laughs> People going. getting back to normal life and doing things that they love and going to see live music and my favorite you know. was the my, was the Black Crows. Oh uh, yeah, because I mean, I I and I saw everybody that I knew there. That was great, and, and James Taylor is wonderful. But I went there for James Taylor. I think July third, I guess it was, and. I didn't know anybody there. It was all it was all the tourists. But then everyone at the Black Crow. Not there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, <laughs> they're great too. We met some nice people. But um, but Black Crows was a great local crowd. It seemed like everybody was. Well, was did there. you? I don't know if we're the same age, but did you grow like in high school? Sure, I loved the Black Crows. Oh, they're the early '90s, right? Is that what it was? Uh, when when were they? I don't know. Shake I was born maker. in 1978, so Me yeah. Too. I mean, it was definitely. Oh, okay. So there you go. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, we're the same generation. <laughs> yes. So so you know, for us, it was like it, you know, it was like bringing back. I loved the Black Crows when I was in high school. They so, were really good. They were really good. I mean, you just, know, usually like, when people the age, same. they their voice sounds different nope. or that, but they literally, they and, 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 not, and not that's the goal. They were rocking it. Not that, I mean, you want the concert to be real and authentic and everything like that, but Hey, they, they sound, they sound great. They sound great. So, Absolutely. <laughs> so you were there too. Yes. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I was there rocking out. Do we miss anything? Cassandra? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I mean, there's a few, I mean, philosophy. I mean, there's all kinds of <laughs> rabbit holes we could go down, but I, I love, <laughs> I'm sure there's, um, yes, I'm sure the coffee uh, shop conversations with Cassandra uh, are very uh, interesting, but, but you know, but you, it, it's all comers for you because when people walk into your gallery, um, you know, there's, I'm sure you're having a lot of different interactions uh, every day. Absolutely. <clears throat> yeah. And, and that's one of the things I love about what I do, you know, developing new relationships and having interesting conversations on a daily basis. So yeah. there it is, which you actually do as well. <laughs> I know. I know. It's fun. It really is. I mean, there's nothing. This is so, this, you know, yeah, I put some time into this podcast a little bit, um, but I love it. I love 
meeting you and and you know I've known you I I kind of you know am aware of you and you know we've been connected but never had this conversation and that's what I love about this so um so it's been great having and, and I'm sure we'll talk again absolutely thank <laughs> you so much for having me this has been really fun I, I love appreciate it. it I love it Cassandra <laughs> A <laughs> great pleasure. Next time we'll really dive deep into philosophy. Next oh time. <laughs> gosh. Put the pressure on. <laughs> we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the John Crow podcast on your platform of choice. Maybe it's Apple Podcasts or Spotify, whatever works for you. Also, I would like to hear from you on the people and the stories that you'd like to hear more of. Send me a note through Facebook Messenger, Instagram, LinkedIn. I'm easy to find and I'm easy to reach. I look forward to hearing from you. And if you'd like to support the podcast for less than a cup of coffee, and I'm not talking about the cost of a large latte at a fancy coffee shop, no, more like a McDonald's coffee, go into the description of this episode and scroll down to the Anchor dot fm link it's right there just click it and you can see your options or log on to anchor.fm backslash john hyphen kroll backslash support again thank you for listening i'm john kroll talk to you soon